here. Hello again. Uh, we're closing the this year's Sonic Acts with the with a real treat. Uh, performative uh, reading called Meteorizations, reading Amil Cabral, Amilcar Cabral's Agropoetic of Liberation by Filipa Cesar, with sound by Jin Mustafa, and images by Sana Nanhada and Flora Gomes uh, from 1974, Cap Verde. This visual and sonic reading explores agronomic writing, writings of Amilcar Cabral, a leader of the African Party for the Independence of Guinea and Cap Verde, which exposed substrata of a syntax for liberation later performed in his struggle against Portuguese colonialism. Um, so with us here is Filipa Cesar, an artist and filmmaker interested in the complexities of moving image and its reception, the fictional dimensions of the documentary, the cinematic dispositive. In her work, she focuses on Portuguese colonialism and the liberation of Guinea-Bissau in the 60s and 70s. Her films include The Embassy, Conakry, Transmission from the Liberated Zones, which is screened today, um, and Spell Reel, which we were very lucky to screen last year, um, or two years, two years ago, at the festival um, in the Eiffel Museum. Last year. Last year, right. <laughs> There's also Sunstone, I will mention it. Uh, Louis Henderson is here, so it's a collaboration with Louis Henderson. Jin Mustafa, she's a Stockholm-based visual artist, DJ, electronic music producer. Her work shifts between media, often taking the form of moving images, objects, sound, and music. She's interested in the relation between technology, imaginary spaces, and questions of personal and collective memory. I will leave it there, and I'll give the stage to you. Thank you, Milna. I, ju I just make a small correction. Actually, the images are not only from Cape Verde, but also from Guinea during the, the liberation struggle. But we'll talk like about that later in the talk. But we Africans strongly believe that the dead remain living at our side. We are societies of the living and the dead. Meteorizations. Reading through Milka Cabral's Agropoetics of Liberation. One. People are the mountains. Mining historical strata to, half, to almost half a years, half century ago, Emilka Cabral is describing the state of the armed guerrilla struggle in the then known as Portuguese Guinea, one of Europeans' last colonial theatres of war at the University of London in 27th of October 1971. We are, we are in a flat part of Africa. The manuals of guerrilla warfare generally state that mountains are the best place to develop guerrilla. After eight years of this anachronistic war that started in 1963, two-thirds of the small West African country have been freed from Portuguese occupation. Schools, hospitals, courts, and people's communal shops have been established in the jungle, mangrove fields, and rural areas, known as liberated zones. Cabral, the leader of the African Liberation Party, the PAGC, moves between Conakry, where the struggle is being organized, 
and the world where he propagates it. Obviously, we don't have those conditions in Guinea, but this did not stop us being our armed liberated struggle. As for the mountains, we decided that our people had to take their place. So our people, our mountains. His audience, young Brits, migrant students, leftist activists, and other supporters of the London-based Committee of the Freedom in Mozambique, Angola, and Guinea in a post-68 Commonwealth UK, get a first-hand account of an ongoing anti-colonial struggle it's unlikely that this public could fathom that Cabral's image, mountain, mountains equal people, not only referred to the morphological flatness characterized, characterizing the surface of that West African territory, or even that the lack of hierarchic structure in the people's movements against political power, but rather an intimate relation Cabral maintained with the material matter of mountains, the soil. His image was a response to the strategic use of mountainous land as a resource of natural force by Che Guevara's guerrilla. This text I'm reading today has been fermenting with me since 2009 when I first encountered the tome collecting Emilka Cabral's agronomic studies here, actually the book. Um, bringing, uh, compiling 59 texts he produced between 1948 and 1960. And this book influenced, influenced informed my further readings of Emilka Cabral's speeches and political writings much more widely in, uh, inf uh, known and translate, and making an, an emerge a lesser known and often neglected dimension of Emilka Gabral, his agency as an agronomist, and how his soil epistemology germinated his political formation. Sorry, I made a mistake here. In 1960, I was the only agronomist in my country. What a privilege. But now there are 12 agronomists in my country, all trained during the struggle. So Cabral understood agronomy, not merely as a discipline combining geology, soil science, agricultural, biology, and, economic, and economics, but as a mean to gain materialistic knowledge about the mesological, the mesologic is like the old word for um, ecology, and people's lives conditioned under colonialism, data that he would first become precious to a theoretical denunciation of the injustice of a land inscribed by colonial rule, and later informed the warfare itself. The operation of reading the people as mountains in the context of colonial extraction, oppression, and spoliation, evidences a visionary animistic understanding of the capitalistic condition of what Cabral used, uh, the edaphosphere, that is the surface of the earth as an influential entity on, what, on, on those inhabiting it. Two. 
meteorization of the rock. As a young st student of agronomy, Emilka Cabral carried out research in Cuba. Not the Cuba in the Caribbean, but the Cuba in Portugal, in Alentejo. A flat and dry, and, and dry area in south, southern Portugal. In his 1949 bachelor degree dissertation, Erosion of Agricultural Soils, an investigation of Alentejo region of Cuba, he describes this economically poor and desertifying land during Salazar's regime. This fieldwork introduce, introduces his distinct interest in concepts of soil and the phenomena of erosion, their origins and their political and historical readings. Learning this program actually. It's fun, but it's also hard to get used to. So he's, he's searching for this definition and um, he studies uses from Liebig's chemical definition of that says soil is a laboratory to which to verify the most varied, varied chemical reactions. He also looks into Frederick from Richthofen, geological perspective, soil is a patho pathological condition of the rock. But he's most interested in, in the Russian Vasily Dukushayev's definition, the soil is a natural, independent and historical body. He continues, the being from which the soil derives is the rock. Through natural and artificial action, the rock is fragmented, disintegrated, and forms what is called in edaphology or original matter, the meteorization of the rock. So he refers to this as a relative negation of the rock, where natural agencies, agents destroy its structure and negate it, creating original matter. Subsequently, a second negation of the meteorization corresponds to the development of the body soil, independent, natural and historical. He continues, this balance is sustained through a con contradiction generators of success successive transformation, oxidations, reductions, carbonizations, dissolutions, hydrolyzes, volume variations, compost translocation, microorganic activities. Cabral elaborates on this coeval lithos and atmos forces, a zone of destruction and transformation between independent elements and from which life is possible, what he called the crust of meteorization. I mean, lithos is uh, Latin for stone and atmos, of course, for atmospheric climate climate forces. The definition of a meteorization of the rock as a negation of one in order to give rise to another informs a materialistic search to redefine soil within conflict zones. Cabral carefully note, noting the, 
the utility of embracing conflict and contradiction, negation and destruction, to think within the constitu constituency of the stage where life occurs. The conflict between Lithos and Atmos is due to the antagonism between rock and climate. If we admitted the existence of an intention in natural phenomena, we could argue that this opposition demands that the rock transforms itself in order to subsist. This observation, intention in natural phenomena, can be read as an urge to allow for a kind of a rock agency, the rock soil, carrier of a prose, a narrative, the substract where everything is inscribed. And this echoes what Shakabarti describes as a geophysical force. For that is what, in part, we are in our collective existence, is neither subjective nor, nor an object. A force is the capacity of moving things, it's pure non-ontological agency. So Cabral reads soil, the historical body, listening to its processes and later parsing a parallel with what was occurring with the Guinean people, the mountains. As started earlier, meteorization, the conflict between Lithos and Atmos, involves two elements in relation of contradiction. This geomantic for, uh, drive, a channel to read the earth, its future inscribed in its past, gives us access to an epistemology of the edaphosphere, the layer of the soil that supports and affects multiple interconnected forms of life. That speaks of how the soil, the soil's discrete elements, contain value, valuable information to the decolonial struggle. The metonym is that people are part of the soil, the soil is part of the people, and a refusal of a separability uh, condition. Cabral starting Stating that the people are our mountains means that the people themselves are the, the terrain of the struggle, in contrast to Guerrilla, um, Guevara's notion of a geological mountain, mountains as an instrument offering refuge for militants. The approach of Cabral takes his reminiscence of the historical materialist operation Karl Marx carried out in, in, in Capital, although expanding the analyses in order to include the environmental phenomena as having agency. He summarizes the definition of soil with an equation where soil is the sum of all properties and meteorizations in a given period of time. S, properties of soil. C, climate, O, organism, R, topography, P, original matter, T, time, S, soil, V, vegetation, H, human being, D, T, development in time. 
So palimpsest soil inscribed over time equals history. Three, colonial erosion. Planting is the root of ownership and the waging, the waging of war. Willem Flusser. After defining soil as a place of conflict, Cabral continued with the concepts of erosion. Operating under the constraints of dictatorial Portugal, his activity as an agronomist was subversive. He advanced the liberation struggle from inside using colonial resources to inform and, and strengthen the liberation movement. Cabral defines erosion, the displacement of soil from where the surface of the earth by natural agents such as water, wind, and natural phenomena that is realized slowly and gradually with the heart of balance, in, within the heart of the balance between soil, life, and climate. This natural balance can, of course, be threatened by the erosion caused by human intervention. And he gives another equation. E, erosion, F, factors, C, climate, R, topography, V, vegetation, S, soil, H, human. Soil is, inscribe, is an inscribed body and erosion is the scar left by historical violence. The critical situation of Portugal's agriculture led him to study Alentejo's edaphosphere with a specific focus on the main causes of its crisis, the soil erosion. He examined the colonial mainland, mainland, and, mainland and interpreted the conditions of its soil depletion as a result of Portuguese exploitation of land elsewhere. The Alentejo panorama clearly reflects the influences of the historical processes in the province. The maritime voyages of the discoveries resulted in the creation of an empire which led to the neglect of domestic agriculture as the witches from India were more attractive than the uncertainty of laboring their own land. Although in his official agronomic work, Cabral refers to Eustus from Liebig um, solely address um, is concerning, concerning the chemistry of the rock, when Liebig says soil is the laboratory for observed chemical reactions, it is likely that Cabral would also have uh, read Liebig's political positions on the geoeconomical discussions on soil. Liebig was important for Marx in his analyses of soil and historical materialism, as John Bellamy Foster points out, when he wrote Capital in, 19, in 1860s, Marx had become convinced of the contradictory and unsustainable nature of capitalist agriculture. Mainly due to historical developments such as the of soil's fertility through the loss of soil nutrients 
and the shift of Liebig's own work towards an ecological critique of capitalist agriculture, Marx redefined the ecological impact of these developments. All processes in capitalist agriculture is a process in the art, not only of robbing the worker, but of robbing the soil. All processes in increasing the fertility of the soil for a given time is a process towards ruining the more long-lasting source of that fertility. So instead of studying the colonized African soil in the beginning, it's Cabral's primary concern, Cabral began with the specificities of the oppressor's land, Portugal's own systemic crisis, and its inherent, inherent propensity for spoliation solutions. This work on Portuguese soil erosion qualified Cabral to be employed as an agronomist by the colonial state in the overseas provinces. And in um, 1952, Cabral was employed by the overseas ministry to engage in one year study on the farming practice in Portuguese Guinea, the land of his birth. And here Cabral establishes what he called an experimental laboratory at the Pesube farm in this image. And in 1953, undertook an agricultural census, a process of data collection that provided him with a direct connection to the population and access to topographical data throughout the country. This census, which comprised the study of the state of agricultural in Portuguese colonies, had been required of the Portuguese government, government by the United Nations um, Food and Agricultural Organization, the FAO. As Guinean agronomist Carlos Schwartz suggests, when Cabral started to work as an agronomist in Guinea, he was convinced that the independence process would unfold peacefully in the form in which it proceeded in many other African countries that had been colonized by European powers. Accordingly, he started work on a concept of agriculture intended to replace the existing colonial models. So Cabral published a series of economic, uh, economic articles, including In Defense of the Earth, one, two, six, and On the Use of the Earth in Black Africa in 1954, where he centered on the princi principal human components of agriculture and its economies. The fundamental source and determining aspect are the human social beings themselves, whose actions are dependent upon the economic structure sustained by agricultural activities. He goes on to address the violence of, of state imposed, imposed soil politics and their contradictions. The cultural system redolent of black Africa is an itinerant system. A portion of jungle or savanna is chosen for cultivation, the natural vegetation is thinned 
and then burned. The earth is ex exploited for a short period and then abandoned. The forest or the savanna then reclaims the land. The itinerant system, nomadic agriculture, or agriculture demands a high level of settlement instability. The people don't attach themselves to the land. This attachment would seem to be an essential condition of the process of de development. Cabral explained how the itinerant agricultural system is an endemic solution to the problems imposed by black African environment and became acute in his criticism of colonial agricultural measures. In short, colonialism has introduced a new system of production in Africa, which translates as trade economy. However, it maintains the nomadic system of cultivation of land. Attempts are made to apply this to an itinerant system without taking into account the specificities of the mesological condition. This differs from European agricultural practice, but Europe is convinced of the superiority of its own practices. Cabral argues, oh, and I don't have this slide here. Um, Cabral argues with scientific discourse with Franz Fanon in 1968, so 15 years later, stringently theorized, facing this world, European nations wallow in the most ostentious opulence. This European opulence is literally scandalous, for it has been founded on slavery, and it has been nourished by the blood of slaves, and it comes directly from the soil and from the subsoil of that underdeveloped world. So Cabral denounced the exploitative effects of the extractionist, extractionist trade economy. He built on Liebig's description of the situation created as soon as the empirical agriculture of the trader becomes an exploitation system and the conditions of the reproduction of the soil are undermined. This is a quote by Liebig. Every system of farming based on spoliation of land leads to poverty. So Cabral acknowledged that itinerant agriculture does not allow for a certain cultural and infrastructural developments because of its rootlessness. However, he argued that the evolution of new African cultural technologies in the sense of a better serving the progress of black African people cannot ignore the fact that they have a profound knowledge about the environmental and its possibilities. The fact that this, is, this vital need is neglected has already led to, to several catastrophes. At the heart of this can generally be found a complex mess, mesh of components introduced into life of the black African by new entity, colonialism. Cabral was efficiently compiling a body of situated knowledge, the specificities of a conflict between Africa and Portugal, a col colonial power, and informed by Marx and Liebig's, uh, Liebig about the global dimension of the agricultural crisis, 
nearly a, nearly a century uh, earlier. Within the context, uh, a, dictat a dictatorship sustained by censorship and a rhetorical construction of the fantasies about the power and, and reach of its empire, Cabral initia initially avoids overt poli politics and diligently develops constructive alternatives to the colonial system. One of his last official acts as a state agronomist was to propose sugar beet plantations in Portugal. Given increasing European demand of sugar, this was a profitable option for the mainland to replace the exploitation of sugarcane plantations in its tropical overseas provinces. Cabral turns the mirror back onto Europe to reflect on the global agricultural crisis previously addressed by the Eurocentric perspectives of Liebig and Marx, the catastrophic consequences of which partially led to the scramble of, for Africa in, through the 1884-85 Berlin Conference. Economic factors in, in Europe were on one of the causes behind European settlements of Africa after the age of the discoveries. With a simple trade in goods, including the enslaved black, uh, black man, Europeans spend the reward of the exploitation of the land, but like black Africans, the aim was to produce essential food. Europeans cultivated or forced black Africans to cultivate farm products. From the contradictions created, African land is being devastated day by day. In a life that is out of balance, obliged to satisfy not only the new demands created by a requirement of the new social conditions, he, the African subject, slowly uproots himself, migrates or is forced to migrate, he abandons the land or doesn't have the time to assimilate the knowledge that he has created and accumulated over centuries, based on the transmission of empirical knowledge about the environment. So later in 1969, already in the midst of the War of the Independence, in a workshop with the PIGC Political Bureau, Cabral discussed different modes of resistance, political, economic, cultural and military. And one argument he made for the economic resistance was the awareness of the bureaucratic nullity of the value of black African labor through the manipulation of tax, prices and wages. And he says, we have analyzed the cultivation of peanuts in depth and we have reached the conclusion that it was forced labor. So this calculation demonstrates the perpetuation of an exploitative system of labor that continu continued in Guinea even after slavery was officially abolished. So Cabral works with the tools of Western science in order to, to diagnose the conditions of the people of Guinea-Bissau in relation to soil degradation. In drawing attention to this relation, he anticipated today's forced migration of African subjects as a result of this historical devastation of soil and climate. Four, underground double agency.
I got myself a contract as an agronomist when I went to Angola, taking the opportunity to gather comrades to discuss with them the new path we should follow in the struggle for our land. All of this under the control of the political police comrades. This is just a graphic of Cabral's biography as an agronomist on the left side and his political practice on the right side. So Cabral's subversive double agency becomes evidence when viewing side by side his current biography as a political activist and as agronomist between 1948 and 1960. Although serving the Portuguese state could be understood as a submission to the political power, the subversive nature of his submission, a mission under Cabral's official appointment, is implied. His shift from coded contempt to the overt criticism of the colonial agricultural system manifested in the articles such as on the use of the earth in black Africa made it difficult for Cabral to operate in Portuguese Guinea. After ending the field work in Portuguese Guinea, Cabral continued to work as a state agronomist, now directing his focus on the phytosanitary conditions of food storage and he worked in the ports of Angola, Cape Verde, and Lisbon. This research enabled him to move freely between the colonies and the metropole and to gain strategic data about Portuguese economic dependence on the overseas products and, co and, and colonial trade economy, information that he forwarded to the various newly founded anti-colonial parties he helped funding in Angola, Guinea, Cape Verde, Mozambique and Lisbon. So in 1955, Cabral founded the MINC, National Independence Movement in Guinea, and transferred his agronomic work to Angola, Cape Verde, and Lisbon. Then in 1956, he co-founded the MPLA in Angola, the, P the PAI in, in Guinea, and in Lisbon, the MLPCP and the MAC. So this image is the house of the students from the empire. So back in 1948 in Lisbon, Cabral joined the house of the students from the empire. This academic institution had created, was, has been created by the overseas ministry to promote the sense of global Portugality among the students from the colonies. Here he communed with Eduardo Mondlane, um, later leader of the Frelimo, Mario Pinto de Andrade, the co-founder of the MPLA, and also the partner of the pioneer filmmaker Sara Maldolor, Augustin Neto, co-founder of the MPLA, and many other future anti-colonial leaders. The students quickly subverted the official agenda of this institution, which became a hot spot for young intellectuals to develop a critical discourse about colonial politics and later to prepare for the armed struggle. So this educated elite of the colonized 
quietly prepared the revolution by subverting, subversively using the opportunities provided by the colonizer, turning its tools, agronomy, science, poetry, academic institution, against its power. The House of the Students from Empire published numerous short poetry publications and edited a magazine called Message that focused on non-European Lusophone poetry. Poetry f functioned as a cultural disguise that allowed these young intellectuals to address the oppression of African and Asian people. Technically, the Portuguese political police in the various raids and uh, surveillance they did in the house and the reports uh, about the students' cultural activities had difficulty in decoding the poetic musings of an inconspicuous political organization that was smoldering inside the colonial academia. It's like kind of a undercommons idea already happening, you know, like what Fred Morton called undercommons happening in Portugal, in Lisbon. And in August 1959, and this is the turn, sailors and merchants demonstrated for a better working conditions at the Pinjigiti port in Bissau, resulting in a massacre that killed 50 people and left 100 wounded. This altered the PAGC attempts at a peaceful negotiation to end the colonial Portuguese occupation. Half a year later, in January 1960, Cabral gave up his job as an agronomist and went underground, leaving Portugal forever to become a full-time political strategist and a theorist of the liberation movement. The following spring, in June 1961, this is the picture from it, Hundreds of students from African colonies secretly fled from Portugal to escape the forced recruitment to the colonial military to fight on the other side of the same war. The House of the Students from the Empire functioned as the main organizational hub for the escape operation. The date 27th of January 1963 marks the start of the armed struggle in Guinea with the PIGC guerrilla militant attacking the Portuguese military base of Tit in the south of the country. Five, semantic, semantics for a soil reclamation. Let's uh, hear Cabral. Fazer, acaba com ignorância no meu pé. 
Son horas que homens como Deus não terá, entende aquela vez? Que pode medo, que pode perder medo. Medo de rio que indo demais, que não corre quente quente. Medo de trovoada, medo de relâmpago, medo de raio, medo de polão, medo de caminho escuro. Medo de mato, de coviana, medo de mato de quimera, medo de moro, medo de pesqueiro, medo de jambacoque, medo de cipaio ou polícia, medo de qualquer dirigente político, medo de qualquer homem que pode ter arma na mão, medo de qualquer força que está estudiando. Só uma hora que o homem entende, é claro que pode ser aquele merda. Como você viu, nosso povo não vive na medo, tinha o demais, tinha o tempo na medo. A maior libertação que o povo não tem é libertar nosso povo de medo. Para libertar nosso povo de medo, tem que libertar de ignorância. Esse é fundamental, camarada. Por isso que trabalha o professor, que trabalho de frente na luta, não guarda. Trabalho de estar dentro de canal aliado, todo dia, mas que não vai ter consequência na futura fronteira amanhã. As mentioned above, Cabral's first job in Portuguese Guinea was directing the state farm of Pisubé in 1952, which he quickly transformed into experimental farm. The agricultural research center was an attempt to put into practice his vision for development of Guinea after independence. As Karl Schwartz summarizes, uh, Cabral established three, this is very loaded now, three um, goals for this program at Psube Farm. The first one was to transform the farm from a mere unit of vegetable production destined for the colonial political and administrative authorities and uh, recreational walks into a center for agricultural research, a tool for to improve and modernize the production of the farmers. The second was to tear down internal walls within which agricultural services were confined to approximate them from, to the farmers who should be the main beneficiaries. The third was of that interaction between Guinean farmers with those in the neighbor, neighboring countries. The experimental farm project was intended to change the farming practice with, within the, with the aim of emancipating people and repairing the land. The intrinsic operation of the Ag Agricultural Research Institute, rooted in the motto experimentation and dissemination, already showed traces of what later became Cabral's theory of culture. Cabral developed developed his revolutionary theory following his, following his emergence from this early period of double agency, 
when under the allies of Abel Jassy, that was his name, he led the nascent anti-colonial movement while still working as an agronomist for the Portuguese regime. So with the launch of the armed struggle, he entered the world stage as a leader of the PHC and a theorist of the anti-colonial resistance. His speeches to the general population, to the UN, to the guerrilla fighters, to the guerrilla teachers, as we saw before, are imbued with an ecology of liberation informed by a decolonization of language itself. And as he ex explained in Syracuse University, it is impossible to harmonize the economic and political domination of a people, whatever may be the degree of their social development, with the preservation of their cultural personality. The so-called theory of progressive assimilation of native population is not but a violent attempt to deny the culture of these people in question. For Cabral, the liberation of African people needed the act of cultural emancipation at the grassroots level. The three principles of the experimental farm can be extrapolated to the agricultural program he devised for the future Guinea. No elitist production of farming products, no walls between governance and the service of the people and farmers, and finally the encouragement through Creole and cinema of the exchange of agricultural knowledge and interaction among different ethnic groups and regions. Cabral initiated initially trusted that the liberation process would be possible through non-violent protests and the, the, and the legitimate, legitimate demand for, of independence. And these strategies were supported by a permanent pedagogical effort towards the self-emancipatory employment that what radical pedagogue Paul Freire later coined also in the context of his work in Guinea as a coding of language to a situated process of conscientialization an active form of consciousness raising as a part of an emancipatory process, political process. So many of Cabral's political speeches to the guerrillas, to the peasants, in the context of the armed struggle, insisted in renaming and redefining words, geographies and concepts as a decolonizing process of consciencialization about systems of power, semantic operation that enhances the strategic efficiency of warfare. For example, when he says, in Guinea, land is cut by arms of the sea that we call rivers. But in depth, they are no rivers because until we arrive on dry land, there is only salty water. So the Guinean morphology is a mountainous, mountainous alluvium with 17% of its soil under sea level. These arms of the sea have no word in the colonial lexicon. The awareness of this lack signals something amidst the colonial epistemology. You only see what you already know. So the inadequacy of the Portuguese language to the geographic the geography of Guinea-Bissau is a proof of the illegitimacy of their occupation. This tidal condition also suggests that the vulnerability of the permeable land inscribed with centuries of invasion. Another example that Cabral uses is the phrase centrifugal movement. 
So during the struggle, we adopted a strategy that we, called, that we might call centrifugal. We started in the center and moved towards the periphery of our country. This came as a big surprise to the Portuguese, to the military Portuguese, who had stationed their troops on the Guinea and Senegal borders on the supposition that we were going to invade our own country. So the colonial forces misjudged where to, where, uh, from where, the, from where the, the rebels or terrorists, as they called, would attack from and which tactics they would adopt. The struggle of the liberation of Guinea-Bissau has begun in the center of the territory because it was people's struggle and then moved in a centrifugal manner, taking advantage of their knowledge of the land. The centrifugal movement is a violating variation of the cosmic cyclical movement, here a mountainous force embedded in the double meaning of the word revolution which Anna, Hannah, Arendt, Anna, Hannah Arendt draws attention to in relation to the French Revolution. The movement is still seen in the image of the movements of the stars, but what is stressed now is that it is beyond human power to, to arrest it. So in 1966, during the first tricontinental conference in Havana, Cabral delivered his paper, his non-paper, The Weapon of Theory. One year later, as part of the agreement with Fidel Castro, maybe what they are discussing here in this picture, Cabral sent young Guineans to Cuba to be trained in medicine, warfare and cinema. Four of them, Sananada, Flora Gomez, Josefina Crato and José Bulama, went to the ICAIC, the Instituto Cubano de Arte and Industria Cinematográficos, to learn filmmaking under the guidance of Santiago Alvarez. But first, they were introduced to the Spanish language and the practice of voluntary work, that is what we, are, what we can see in the back. Um, now I lost myself. Laboring that is not necessarily profitable, but teaches an experience of the commons. As Sana puts it, it's a practice of learning humility. Humble, humble derives from humus. To be humble is to be next to the humus, to be hearted, to not lose contact with the ground, to stay close to the soil. This voluntary work and its inherent humility informed Guinea, Guinean filmmaking production as a grounded cinematic practice at the service of a grassroots revolutionary process. And in 1972, the Guinean filmmakers returned from Cuba to begin the documenting the ongoing war of liberation against Portugal and after the unilateral declaration of independence to build the capacity to make moving images in and of the independence nation. 
Cabral never lived to witness the cinema he envisioned. He had been assass assassinated in the 20th of January, 1973. However, he, he was, uh, it was two of the Guinean filmmakers, actually that lend us these images, whom Cabral had sent to Cuba to, to, for, to the training, Sananada and Flora Gomez, who produced a cinematic document that we are seeing now, documenting the event that Cabral had worked towards, namely Guinea's Bissau Unilateral Declaration of Independence on the 24th of, sen of September in 1973. In the hills of Bué, the only elevated area of, the, of this flat and marshy country, the leaders of the PAGC gathered these militants their militants for the first popular assembly, a bureaucratic ritual in the midst of the jungle, declaring the Republic of Guinea-Bissau independent from Portugal. So in an interview uh, that Sananada gave to me in 2004, he explained the cinema program of the Guinean National Film Institute for the newly liberated community. Uma vez aprovado o Estatuto da Criação do Instituto Nacional de Cinema, tivemos que criar um programa para acompanhar aquilo. Como é que o cinema ia funcionar agora que ia ficar legal, normalmente legalizado? Nós íamos, tínhamos vindo a filmar havia, não sei, mais quatro, cinco, seis anos. Quando surgiu, quando, quando pudemos eh, organizar a criação do Instituto de Cinema. Agora, o que é que, qual é o conteúdo daquilo que nós íamos fazer? Colocar uma, 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 uma direção, uma dimensão controlável por nós. Então, criamos, portanto, nós chamamos Programa de Dinamização Rural por Meios Audiovisuais. Ah, quer dizer que, então, com o cinema, podíamos fazer as pessoas lá de Bafatá entender as pessoas da cá. Esse é o espaço nacional com o crioulo, íamos contribuindo para isso. Por exemplo, em Catiô, as pessoas não acham que é uma grande preguiça humana foi um boi, por um boi, uma junta de bois aí a puxar a rara terra. O boi é uma coisa muito respeitada, muito... Mas em Bafatá as pessoas acham que em vez de estar a fazer isso, o homem estar a fazer é melhor que o boi faça. É mais fácil vender um boi em Gabo, em Bafatá, do que vendê-lo em Catió. No, no leste do país, o boi serve para ajudar o homem. E né, do, do lado do, do norte de Mansão, aqui do Catió, o boi serve para honrar os, os mortos. Ou a parte útil financeira do boi não interessa muito. To look at the remains of this militant Guinean cinema today give us an insight into their representation of the revolutionary processes and the inscription of time, climate and war in the materiality of this now, now ruined celluloid. The erosion visible on the remaining celluloids from this militant cinema practice speaks of an abandonment of a revolutionary ambition and a care, and care in the post-colony. So neocolonial erosion is the, at stake not only in the soil of the nation, but also on any surface inscribed by the opposition pow to power. 
Milton Cinnamon Creole were the encoding of the struggle into the soil and onto the celluloid emotion, a deprogramming of colonial system and epistemological soil reclamation. And the composting of the celluloid remains, for example, of the deeply eroded reels for the never finished film Guinea Bissau six years after, from 1979-1980, which depict various indigenous agricultural practices, can be both seen as the materialization of the matter analogous to the processes of neocolonial erosion, but also the humus to fertilize the soil literacy needed for future gestures of decolonization. In his uh, speech in Havana in 1960, Cabral asserted, we note, however, that one form of struggle which we consider to be fundamental has not been yet explicitly mentioned. Explicitly mentioned. In this program, I mean, in the, in the conference, we refer here to the struggle against our own weaknesses. So one of the weaknesses was certainly the use of a national model based on colonial paradigm, paradigm that has been born out in the descent of neocolonialism after independence. My readings of Cabal's scientific work and economic and political writings proposes an understanding of this materialization as an operation tool in a permanent struggle that is on the only possible state of liberation. Cabral was not advocating for an utopian post-colonial oppression-free future from which reparation would follow, but was rather preparing militants, language and soil for a permanent becoming, one that even then could confront the threats to environment already anticipating what has been now became uh, named as the capitalistic or anthropocenic earth epoch. I'm making a last advertisement break. The Golf du Guinée un des plus importants points de passage de porte-conteneurs au monde. À Bissau, sur la côte de la Guinée-Bissau, un immense port en eau profonde va voir le jour en seulement 36 mois de construction. La première année déjà, plus d'un million et demi de conteneurs seront ici en circulation. Dans la zone franche adjacente s'implantent plus de 1000 entreprises. 100% de l'énergie requise est produite par le vent et le soleil. Et le parc automobile est en grande partie électrique. Une des plus grandes installations photovoltaïques au monde d'une capacité de 500 MW garantit entre autres la production d'électricité. The current situation in Guinea-Bissau is one of the neoliberal takeover of the territory 
by multinationals upgrading historical extractivist models to new global corporate colonialist systems, rendering again the complex alluvium ecologies as a contemporary terra nullius for fossil and gas extraction, industrial overfishing, threats of free economic zones, uh, tropical tax paradises, all sustained by the farce of neo-colonial aid politics that help legitimate extraction through what Guinean Creole proverb eloquently articulates as the allegory of the leash. So there is this, le there's this um, proverb. Caldia kusumba sumba supra simurdi. It means what leash blows without sucking. And it is said that the leash, while biting and sucking, also blows a substance named irudin into the, his host. And that this secretion not only numbs the bite area, but has healing powers. The aid politics at stake and the so-called Western NGO in Guinea-Bissau is part of the neocolonial ultra-liberal system to blow aid to help the host further to help the, um, to keep the, the host further exploitable. So economic free zones are the opposite of the early liberated zones during colonial struggle. They are the zones of liberation from liberation. So um, to finish, um, can I just, yeah, maybe I should turn this off. So Cabral was prescient about the correlation between, you know, colonial spoliation system and environmental destruction and uh, migration crisis we have today. Our people are mountain is a kind of a counter spoliation mindset, an animistic activation of the soil, a convocation of various knowledge, and a negation of colonial extractivism. Cabral Soil's reclamation says that anti-colonial liberation movements are intrinsically ecological. Meteorization of the rock correlates the inscription on and in the palimpsest soil and tell narratives of both the wretchedness and the liberatory potential of its humors. Thank you so much.